And we will be in Matthew 7 today. I'm going to have these coins um, on the front row here, so you'll have to detour on your way through or come afterwards. So one per grandparent, okay? Because won't both of you praying, okay? Got it? Get everyone. All right, here we go. Um, we are in chapter 7. So today we're going to talk about something you've probably heard of before, the golden rule, okay? Um, we're also going to talk about a golden promise, though, also. And the golden promise empowers you to live the golden rule. That's why I think these are together. It's a little odd. It, it, first reading, it looks kind of like maybe these don't go together, but they actually fit quite well. So um, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12 in chapter 7. 7 through 11, talk about the golden promise. Verse 12 is the golden rule. Okay, and I'm just going to start with that and give you a sense of, of, of what we're talking about in case you haven't heard the golden rule. This is what he says. I'm starting in verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It's told that there was an old Roman emperor, and I don't remember his name. It wasn't one I was familiar with. But this was a Roman emperor during the time when Christianity had become the accepted official religion of the kingdom. And on the wall in his palace was written the, this verse, verse 12, the golden rule, in gold. And that apparently is why it's called the golden rule. Although most of us think of it as the golden rule because it's the gold standard as far as we're concerned. Because Jesus tells us, for this sums up the law and the prophets, which is slang for, in, the, in those days, it simply meant what we would think of as the Old Testament. The law and the prophets basically covers the Jewish scriptures, the first 39 books of the Bible. So if you could tell me what the Old Testament was, if someone asked you, Okay, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the whole Old Testament about anyway? You can say, well, it's do for others what you would wish them to do for you. And you've summarized it. Okay, love God, love people works too, by the way. Okay, but this one is, is the one that we're going to focus on today. And, uh, and so everything is in, in, in light of that. So um, we grew, we have four daughters. They're all grown and out of the house now, but we raised those four daughters. Anita was able to stay home with them. So I worked, she, would, she worked in the home, I worked outside the home, and she also homeschooled them almost completely all the way through, not exactly every year, but pretty close. So uh, suffice it to say that the girls were very comfortable around her, and, were not, uh, and, th- and they were together a lot. So it wasn't unusual for me to come home at night, or even on the weekends, for Anita and I to be sitting somewhere together, and the girls come up and ask her for something. And, you know, that can get kind of old when it's, you know, seven days a week of that. And so sometimes, I don't know if it's out of frustration or just out of, let's see what he does with this. And she would say, ask your father. And so then they would come over and realize, oh, he's here and he can ask her questions? Really? That's impressive. That's, I didn't know he could do that. Fast forward and we find out now as they're adults, they're telling us more and more of the things that they were thinking and doing when they were younger. And so they say things like, oh, yeah, when we wanted something, it, it depended on what we wanted, who we asked. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've done this too, apparently, yeah. It's like, well, if I want a yes, I'm going to dad first because odds are I'm going to get a yes there first, okay? Now, granted, I probably gave too many yeses, and there were times when I didn't exercise discernment and wisdom like my wife does. And so, yes, there were times when I would say, and they knew this, and so they would. But there were other times then they knew that she would get the yes 
There was one time, though, when one asked to fly in a helicopter with a friend, and they thought I would be the yes and Anita would be the no. And I, yeah, I had a hard time with the little, you know, the little bubble helicopters that have nothing around them, just an engine strapped to a bubble of glass. Yes, can I go fly in over Charleston in that? Yes, yeah, I was not keen on that. But anyway, uh, Jesus is telling us, go ask your father. All that to say. And don't even get me started on, oh, I'm going to go ask grandma and grandpa. Talk about getting a yes like that, right? So he's going to start off with what I call the golden promise. Okay? And he's going to say something that you're familiar with. Many of you are going to be familiar with these verses as well. But there's a phrase or a couple of words in here I don't think I'd ever picked up on why they were there and how important they are that I think really, to me, give us what we need um, to do what he's telling us to do which is really impossible for us to do in our own strength. For me to, love, to treat and love people like I want to be treated, that's a pretty high bar. I like people, I want things, I like things, right? And so when you start thinking about this, um, do to others as you, want, as you want them to do to you, think about that. Start with what you want in life. What do you want out of life? Let's see, let me just go to the big ones, right? Uh, Let's start with the three. uh, These are called base idols. I've read this in several places. Tim Keller's is one of the ones I can remember. And they talk about, and I'll just use the acronym they use, uh, the idol of ambition, appetites, and approval. Okay? Okay, so you you may have thought, well, it's money, right? Isn't money the, the ultimate idol? Well, actually, you can use money in all of these categories if you think about it. Ambition. I want to be in control. I want to have power. Okay? This is what people who have all the money in the world still strive for because they don't have enough of that. Okay, so there's power. So there's ambition is one of those. Um, do you want more control in your life? I mean, there feels like life's pretty hard to. You know, there's a lot of things happening outside of our control. I wouldn't mind having some more control. It's why I like to drive instead of ride. Things like that. Okay. Uh, number two is uh, appetites. Okay, these are the things that we enjoy, things that we consume, things that make us feel good. Okay, what we eat, what we drink, what. And, and on and on. It's just the sleep, things like that. So things that we enjoy, things that we want, we want more of, okay? And then when we get all we want, then we realize, eh, I could use a little more. I'd be okay with more of that, okay? And, of course, those things can get us in trouble. So that's another thing that, um, you know, if you want to bless me or make me happy, you know, um, you know, feed me, right? <laughs> those kinds of things. And then the third one is approval. And this is about people. I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. I want people to appreciate me. These kinds of things. This is what we want, right? And all of these are legitimate desires. But when we take them to an extreme, that's when they can become an idol because we put them above God and we go, I'm going to do whatever I can to get ultimate power. Or I'm going to do whatever I can to be um, so secure I'm never afraid. And, And as if God can't meet those needs. Okay, now, do for others what you wish they would do for you. Okay? Well, I want... I want to be in control, I want to be liked, and I want to be (laughs) well-fed. Okay, so, oh, so, wait a minute. Jesus said for me to do that for them, like I want to receive, oh. Oh, I like the old version better. See, the old version was in the negative. This was before Jesus. And it was like, don't do to others what you don't want them to do for you. Oh, so I don't have to, okay, I will not kill people because I don't want them to kill me. Okay, I'm not going to steal from you because, you know, I don't want people stealing from me. But you see how low the bar is? It's like, I just don't have to do anything. Basically, just don't do illegal stuff, and I'm good on that one, right? But Jesus elevates this tenfold. 
Because what he is saying is, I want you to actively do things that you want. So Danny Aiken, uh, one of the commentators I was reading, he says it this way. He says, start with what you want, then go to what others want, and you'll do what God wants. Start with what you want, go to what others want, and you'll do what God wants. If you start with what you want, and then you think, okay, would that person like what I want? Or I need to contextualize it, right? What I want and what my wife want might be similar but different, right? And so I'm going to give it to her differently than I would want it, but it's the same idea, okay? And when I live that way, I'm living out the sum of the Bible, not just the Old Testament, because the New Testament is basically commentary on the Old Testament, okay? It's more explicitly saying what the Old Testament's already said, okay? And... Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to please God because I'm going to be doing what He wants. Okay, so how do we do this? Right? It sounds easy. It's not easy. I think you're starting to realize it's easy to say. It sounds straightforward. It's even easy to understand. But to actually practice living this way is, I mean, we're selfish. We're not going to do this. Not regularly. And here's the catch, real catch. When we do it, we're probably doing it for selfish reasons. So even our motives are so mixed that it's like, oh, we're such wretched people. How can we do anything for God in a way that would please him? And he says, well, there's this one thing you can do that changes everything. There's this one promise that if you'll just exercise, I will give you what you need, and you'll actually be able to do this. And, I'm, and it's this ask, seek, and knock thing that he gives us here at the beginning. So let me read through the, the first six verses of it, five verses. Starting in verse 7, Jesus is saying all of this. This is all words straight out of his mouth. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let me pause there. Now, it's, it's really funny to me I just, I, that I'm teaching you Greek grammar when I can't even do English grammar, <laughs> okay? In some ways, Greek grammar was simpler, but you got to remember, I got an A in Greek, but that was because I only took first grade Greek, okay? First grade Greek, right? It's like, oh, you get to learn the Greek alphabet, You're right? right? So when I sound like I know what I'm talking about, remember, I've only done the first grade, okay? And, and that was all I wanted. I didn't want any second grade Greek. All right, so one of the things they, that we learn is uh, about verb tenses. There's two basic imperative verb tenses, Okay? First of all, what's an imperative? If it's an imperative, it's got to happen. That means it's like a command. Okay? So if, if a verb like ask is an imperative, it means that it's a command from Jesus is saying ask. That means he's commanding me to ask. Okay? So there's two kinds. Though. There's the aorist, A-O-R-I-S-T. Okay? And that one is what this sounds like. Okay? It's just asking one time. Commanding, ask, but commanding one time. Then there's the perfect imperative. That's what's actually happening in this verse. And it is, you, you do it, and you do it again, and you do it again. You do it over and over and over. It's continuous command. So don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Okay? Does that make sense? I don't know why the translators don't just write that in there. Maybe because it's, maybe it's too far Move from the literal, uh, I'm not sure, but that's the way we understand that grammar. So, um, again, I'm reading what other grammar 
grammarians are telling us, okay? Now, the other thing that's interesting in this ask, seek, and knock is that there does seem to be uh, what I would consider an, um, raising the stakes in each one. So if I go and I ask you for something, um, I've just asked you for something, right? I'm just, you know, I'm not commanding. Let's just say I'm asking. It's like a request. But if I'm seeking something, that implies there's more effort involved, right? I'm, I'm pursuing something at a length. It, it, I'm, I'm, if I haven't found it, I'm going to still seek for it. I'm still looking for it. Kind of like looking for treasure, okay? And then knock is like another level above that. So we're knocking and no one's answering, so we're just going to keep right on knocking until somebody answers the door or we conclude no one's home, okay? So there's this escalation of commands. There's the persistence of the commands, okay? And then there's one other thing here that, that is laid in into the next couple of verses, and it's the expectation, Look at this, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven who gives good gifts to those who ask him? All right, so he gives two rhetorical questions in verse, what is that, verse 9? Which of you who asked his son for bread will give him a stone? So in, in, the, in Palestine, the rocks look like bread, okay? From a, at a glance, from a distance, they're kind of brownish, right? And whether you're getting a flat rock, you're getting flat bread, or whether you're getting a, a loafy-looking rock, it's, it'd be kind of a cruel joke not only to not give your child what their child is asking for, but to actually give them something that's not good for them, like harmful, like take a bite out of a rock and your dental bill is going to be bad. Okay, um, or I, I'm not even sure if this is actually so. Give ask for a fish, give him a snake, you know, or an eel, something that looks kind of at first glance like, but not something you really want. Okay, I know there's people in here that eat rattlesnake. I'm not talking about you, but the rest of us, uh, we don't eat. We we would prefer fish. Eh, most of us, right? So you get the idea. Fish was very very important staple in those days. Fish and bread, fish and chips. Okay, so our British friends are happy. Okay, so there we go. Um, Jesus is using that as an illustration to say, look, you folks, he calls them evil. You folks are evil. And even you aren't going to deny your kids something good. Okay? Let's, let's, let's go back. Back up a second. Wait a minute. Jesus, you just called me evil. That doesn't feel good, does it? He's talking to people. He's talking to over a thousand people that are listening in on his little conversation with the disciples. And, oh, by the way, there's a thousand people listening in going, what's he saying? Because <laughs> he fed us. He can feed us. We're listening. He can heal us. We, we care what he's saying. So here's what the culture says, and here's what the Bible says. The, Bible, the, the culture says that we're born innocent and good, or even just neutral. The Bible says we're born sinners. That's why we sin. Okay? which is why you don't have to teach your two-year-old how to lie. It's shocking the first time they do it because you're like, where did they learn that? And you're hoping, oh, no, what did I Hopefully not from me. <laughs> but when they're so young, you, you're just like, there's no way this child did that on purpose. It was just an impulse. It was natural nature. Human nature is evil. This is why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? And, and that's why we all come into this experience called life with bad news at the front. Okay? I know that's a hard pill to swallow. Okay? But ex- go back to the garden. We had one rule. You had one job. We broke it. 
And ever since then, the seed of Adam has passed down through, and every single one of us is a descendant of Adam. And if you're a descendant of Adam, then you have the seed of Sid. Came, came through Adam and Eve. Okay? The only person to ever walk planet Earth and not have the seed of Adam was one not born of the seed of Adam. And that would be the second Adam, which would have been Jesus, born of a virgin. See why that's important? We're born sinners. That's why we sin. The world wants to say we sin because we're sinners because we sin. But we started there. Our, our condition before God is depraved, corrupted, evil. And that's why Jesus says it here. Now, remember, there, I don't know if some of you may remember this, but there's a, there's a scene in the Bible where somebody comes up to Jesus and they're going to ask him a question. I don't even remember if it was a good question or they're trying to trick him up. But they go, good teacher. And then they ask their question. And he goes, why do you call me good? And I'm going, Jesus, dude, you're good. What's, what's up with that? But in his human form, he was good, but he, w- but he knew they didn't understand that. So as a person like them, he's saying it in such a way that they would recognize, I'm not saying I'm good. Not yet. And, and what is he saying? He's saying we need to recognize that our spiritual condition before God from birth is, is dead spiritually, even though we're alive physically. And the, and the wages of sin is death. And when the New Testament talks about death in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, it's almost always referring to eternal separation from God. Okay? Spiritual death is spiritual... You're, you're spiritually bankrupt. You have no life. You are a spiritual corpse. Okay? And unless God does something on your behalf and, and awakens you, there's no hope. Okay? And this is why we praise and worship God and thank Him for sending Jesus and His Spirit awakening us to be able to relieve, receive great, the faith to believe by, so that we are saved by grace through faith that He provides. So he says this, though, even though you evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Okay, so um, grandparents, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. Um, when you, see, when you're a parent and your kids ask for something, right? Sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say no, right? And sometimes we say no, and we really don't have to say no, but we're like, you've had enough ice cream, right? We're like, I know what's going to happen when you get this, and we try to exercise some godly discernment. And that's good for the child, but it doesn't feel good to the child, right? They're like, oh, man, you're so mean. I hate you, you know, whatever. This is why grandparents realize, well, we're not the parents, so we can say yes and send them home with the kids, right? So there's all that. So happy grandparents, you just lost your lunch. But anyway, um, this idea of um, good gifts, this is the the piece that I think I've been missing for many years, and it just really kind of clicked for me as I was reading this. So what does it say? It says if you ask and ask and ask and ask, if you seek and seek and seek and seek and knock and knock and knock and knock, what's he saying? He's saying if you persistently and expectantly pray and ask God for something, and I think he says anyone or everyone, Yes, he does. He says, everyone who, at, where is it? everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, that you're going to receive. And, and some of you are thinking right now, well, when I ask for that Corvette, I'm still waiting. Okay? Or when I ask for my child to be healed, I'm still waiting. Now, this was hard, right? I, I don't have God's perspective down on this, so I'm going to do the best I can, but this is what I'm reading here, okay? Like 
there are times when we tell our children no, when they have a good, a legitimate ask, but we know more than they know, and we say no, and it feels bad to them, but we know it's better for them. There are times when we ask for things of God, and he says no, or he says not yet, that we feel like he didn't answer. He gave us a no, and that wasn't very nice, and I think he should have because I know this, and he's, he knows better. So it's kind of like, um, the, is, is the Rose Bowl, I call it the Rose Bowl Parade. Is it called the Tournament of Roses Parade, or is that the game? Is it the parade? It's the parade. Thank you, sir. All right. So the Tournament of Roses Parade is New Year's Day Parade. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of parades that happen, you know, New Year's Day, but this one's the one that gets the most TV time, right? And they pick out a couple people who, um, who basically talk about the floats as they come through, right? Your TV screen, you get to see the next float, and they talk about the stories around what happened in the construction of this float made of all living things, or at least they were living 24 hours ago, and, and so there's flower petals and palm fronds and all of this stuff, or the marching band that's coming through, or the person they're riding in the car. And so you're getting a play-by-play of what's happening in that. The perspective you're getting is what they're giving you, which is limited by what fits on your TV screen and what parts of the story they tell you, which is really quick because it's moving, right? But the reality of what's happening in the Tournament of Roses parade stretches back for, I don't know how far, mile, more? It's just dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of floats and every float has stories tied to that and, and people's lives and, and reasons that float was made that way. And there's this whole... And so we get about 0.1% of the story in our perspective, okay? That's kind of what life is like. Our perspective on life is like limited by what we can see in front of us. And God's perspective and knowledge is infinite. It's all of it. He knows everything you've ever thought done, said. He knows everything you're going to. He still even knows the future. And he knows that for every single person, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet now. And oh, by the way, in all of history, at the same time, he can like, he doesn't have to like type it in and Google it. He knows. His perspective is, I see the whole parade. Kind of like the helicopter that's looking down and flying and can see it all, but but he can also see the stories and he knows what's going on and he knows what's troubling this person that's putting that dandelion on that float so that it's done. He knows why this one got second place because of the corruption in the system of the judges. I'm just making that up. Just making that up online, okay? Right? See what I'm saying? God knows all of it and we know, we know a grain of sand worth. We know a drop in the ocean of knowledge. And we want to go, that wasn't good, God. You should have answered that prayer differently. You see how that flavors this? See, this is the phrase. These are the two words that I've really kind of zoomed in on on this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. See, as parents, we know how. We don't always execute well. There have been times when I've said yes and I shouldn't have said yes. Okay? And it wasn't good for them and therefore it wasn't good for me, right? Um, But God always knows. And he always knows how, and he always answers. Here's, here's another way of saying it. I like this way of saying it kind of too. I want to pray for what I think is best. And God is going to, this is saying God's going to answer my prayer or better. He's going to, he's going to give me what I'm asking for or better. All right? Now, it does, I do think it matters 
how we're thinking about things when we ask, okay? Think of the overall context. What are we reading? We're reading verses out of chapter 7 out of the book of Matthew. But in the book of Matthew, this is the first of five teaching passages called, this one's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is essentially uh, the manifesto for Jesus' kingdom. So he's basically saying, this is how a kingdom citizen of Jesus lives. This is how you should live. And it starts with Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes on down through, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, and on through. And so it gives you this, this is who we're to be. And then it starts unpacking, this is who, as, as a result of who you are, this is what you do. Sound familiar? Our crosshairs, our bullseye here, our for discipleship is we want to, we want to grow in Christ-like character and competencies. We want to grow and we want to become more like Jesus, be like Jesus, and we want to do like Jesus. Okay? And that's what this is doing. It's spreading it out for us. And Jesus tells us in this passage, in a nutshell, verse 12 is how you do like Christ. Well, what is that? Do for others what you want to do, them to do for you. Start with what you want, move to what they want, and you'll do what God wants. Okay? Now, how do I do that? The, the verses preceding, you ask and keep on asking. You seek and keep on seeking. You knock and keep on knocking. And oh, by the way, he's already talked about prayer in chapter 6. What did he say about prayer? Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let it. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? He gives us the roadmap for how to, to empower, be empowered to, to, to flesh out the golden rule. So flesh out, do for others what you wish they would do for you. Okay? So that's the key. We have to go to him and ask him to empower us. And, and I would say he probably even needs to teach us, right? There's a process where we're learning how to do this, all right? Just like a parent learns when to say yes and when to say no, okay? And you, you learn when to say no when you've said yes and you shouldn't have, right? Uh, a whole day at the fair and they ask for ice cream and they're, they're all screaming and we're just at McDonald's and so we pull in. After a full day of fair food, what was I thinking? Oh, well, car needed shampooing anyway, right? I mean, it's, that's, you learn, right, the hard way sometimes. And that's okay when, when it's not serious. But when it's serious, right, hopefully we've learned it by the time the stakes are higher so that we won't make that mistake when the stakes are higher. This is why discipline is so required. Because if you, if you, allow, if you learn and discipline yourself when the stakes are low... You won't have to be disciplined later, right? And that's a good parenting tip, too, that I didn't come up with, I promise. That's, that's a good one. All right, so, so let's, let's see here. Let's finish this up. So if then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? If we're going to do this well, if we're going to do this, how much more does God want to answer your asking, seeking, and knocking? I mean, we've already said it from these passages in the last few weeks, that God wants to answer your prayer. He wants to bless you. But he's not an impotent God. He can bless you. He is, God is good. God is great. All right? He, he can bless you. Right? So what are, how do I stay in bounds? How do I make sure I'm asking for things that are consistent? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
last a few weeks ago we saw in, in Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek there's the word again, ask, seek, and knock. Seek first, first things first. Seek first what? If you don't seek anything else in life, seek what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay? Seek to live like a kingdom citizen in a world that is where you are swimming upstream. The kingdom of darkness is reigning in our world for a time with permission on a leash, but it is unleashing its fury, and we're, we're experiencing the, the waves of that darkness. It should, it should really wake us up to go, well, I don't like this. I'm going for the kingdom of light. I'm going for the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to seek first that. This is, what, this is our true north. This is our true north, okay? This is our map. But there are times in life when we get off the map the map doesn't go as far as we want it to go. We're in uncharted territory. How do we know which way to go? Remember which way is north. Keep your true north. What's your compass? The Holy Spirit. In the Word of God, the principles carry us through, and those things keep us on track and enable us to know what is good, and this ask, seek, and knock empowers us to do what is good. Does that make sense? You see how that can empower you to do some amazing things, starting with just asking and watching God do it. Okay? Now, there's a temptation to think, um, well, I don't want to bother God with this. This prayer is too small. Okay? All of our prayer requests are too small. All right? God has no problem. He never breaks a sweat answering our prayers. Okay? There's not one he's like, oh, gosh, I wish they hadn't asked that one. Right? And so, yes, when I lose my keys, I pray, Lord, help me. <laughs> okay? And so far, I've found them every time. So, not bad, right? But we think, that's such a trivial thing. Not to him. Not to me in the moment. But not to him. But why? Because he cares for me. He knows how many hairs are on my head. Who cares? He cares. Nobody else does, but he cares how many hairs are on my head. And he cares that I find my keys. Okay, and he's going to teach me something along the way, right? And and the same with us and all these lessons. Ask, seek, and knock. Okay, so here's the other thing. So um, uh, the this this idea of um, when you pray, being self conscious, right, and just being and, and having a confidence to pray to God without restraint, right? If people are around and you're praying, we're always self conscious, and so we don't really pray like we really need to pray. We just pray. We pray like, well, I want this to come out right. I want to make sure I don't say something stupid. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want And so we don't really, really pray. We pray depending on... And, but then there's the... This is why Jesus said, go into your prayer closet. Why does he say that? He says that because I want you to get away from the distractions, but I also want you to get away from people that are going to make you be self-conscious about what you're praying. Okay? So when you go to your prayer closet, ask, seek, and knock. Okay? But most of the time, we're not there. Most of our day is spent out and about. Do we stop praying the rest of the day? No, no, no. Don't do that. It says the command is continuous. Asking and asking and seeking and seeking. So you're driving down the interstate. It's a whole lot better than the other things you want to do while you're driving down I-26. I promise you. Pray, ask, seek, knock. Let that be top of mind. Oh, and by the way, some of those prayers can be aimed at some of the other motorists. And you can 
Do for them what you wish they would do for you, even though they're not doing it, okay? Because your bar is higher because your Lord says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, by the way, that's also in here in chapter 5 at the end. Be perfect as your heavenly Father, as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, this bar is impossibly high. Apart from the grace and mercy of God, we cannot do it. But he gives us that grace and mercy. He gives us the Holy Spirit. When we say, I do to Christ, when we say, yes, Lord... He sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moves in, pitches his tent, and says, I'm here until you, we get home, okay? I'm camping here, and it's going to be rough, because I know you, but you know what? We're going to make it, because I'm going to make sure we get home, okay? That should comfort us. And also remind us, home awaits. The best is yet to come. It really is. All right. Better stop before I start preaching. Okay. Let's... Let's, let's think about it as we, as we wrap up. We're going to do the Lord's Supper here, right? We're going to come and we're going to take a crust of bread and a cup of juice and we're going to remember what? What are we remembering? The... One word. We are going to remember the... The cross. Why the cross? Because that's where his body was abused, well, there and leading up to it, and that's where his blood was shed. We are remembering the cross. This is why we sing about the cross. This is why we sing about the blood of Jesus. Because if without the sacrifice, without a blood sacrifice, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But his sacrifice was unique. Why? Because he was human and he was without sin. Because remember, not seed of Adam. Okay? So we remember. He said... Do this, is, do this when you gather. Remember me. So we do this, and so we're going we're gonna to have that time. Before you do that, first of all, you don't have to be a member here, but you should be a follower of Christ in good standing with Christ. You know what that means? It means that you, there's not anything in your life that you know is not right with the Lord. You're dealing with it. You're going to deal with it. You don't come and say, I'll deal with it later and make a mockery of this. You come having dealt with it. And it's simple, but it's a spiritual battle. It's this, I repent, or I confess, whatever it is God's convicting you of. Okay? And he's saying, I just want you to humble yourself and agree with me. That's what confessing is. It's humbling yourself and saying, you're right. And that's hard, especially for us guys. You're right. Right? And Ian and I keep score. When the other one says, you're right, we're like, what? Wait a minute, can can you say that again? I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? It's hard for us. So we confess our sins, and and we confess them believing 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, it's conditional. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we get into heaven. All unrighteousness, there's none left. Jesus has taken it on himself at the cross, so we don't have it by grace through faith. It doesn't mean that I'm all clean. And I, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not living and falling back into it, but now I'm falling back into it as his son instead of his enemy. When you cross the line and say, I do to Christ, you move from enemy of God to son or daughter of God, and you can't go back. You can't go back. Okay? So we take the Lord's Supper to remember that. It's sobering and it's celebrative. Celebrative, is that how you say that? The other thing is I want to remind our, our, our grandparents to come get a coin if you want to pray, if you want a reminder to pray for your grandkids, okay? I want to encourage you to do that as well. Confess your sins and then come, okay? That's the right order. 
Okay. All right. And you know what? It's okay to stay seated if you're not sure. It's okay to stay seated for other reasons, right? It's not nobody's sitting around writing down who's not coming to get. Okay, that's not happening. We're not playing that game. Okay, this is between you and the Lord, not a ritual. This was real spiritual stuff going on. Okay. All right. So with that, our musicians, if you guys will go ahead and come up, and those who are going to be serving at the tables, if you'll go ahead and make your way there, we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing and respond as we feel the Lord leading us. So let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, the one who died in our place, may we live in yours as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ in this world, in this dark world. May we let our light shine before others. They may see our good works and praise our Father in heaven by your grace through the faith you've given us. We repent, Lord, of the sins even now that you've put on our hearts. We repent. We turn away from them. That means we're not just sorry. We don't want to repeat them, and we're asking you, Lord, to give us what we need to say no to the temptation the next time. Cleanse us. Fill us with your Spirit that we might overflow with the living water, that imagery of just life-giving water. It spills out. It fills us up. It quenches our thirst, and it's so much left over that we can share it with others who are parched. Lord, I pray that as we think about this do for others what we wish they would do for um, do for others what we wish they would do for us. Lord, help us to think about what we want. Think about what others want, knowing that that's going to get us to do what you want. Help us to pray persistently, asking, seeking, knocking, continuously and expectantly, believing that you are good and know how to give good gifts to us, even though on the surface the answers we get sometimes aren't what we want. Help us to have the faith that believes truly, Romans 8.28, that in all things you work for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. That's faith. Help us to believe this is the crux. Help us to repent of not believing and believe. Help us to quit believing lies and believe the truth that sets us free. We thank you for this bread and this cup that reminds us of the sacrifice that you made that makes it possible for us to live for you instead of dying for our sins. Thank you for taking my place. In Jesus' name, amen.